Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my special guest today is Kevin Surace. Kevin, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here, Henry. Thank you for having me. I, I am excited as well. This is a, a big topic, obviously, artificial intelligence, especially as it impacts small business owners. So Kevin is with me today, today to share his knowledge and his vast experience with artificial intelligence and the current and what he foresees is the potential impact of AI on small businesses like ours. He's also going to share highlights from his incredibly and fascinating varied background. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. I also encourage you to subscribe wherever you're listening to the show so you don't miss any episodes. Let me give you just a very brief bio on Kevin. He's accomplished so much that, that I could go on forever, but Kevin Serace is a Silicon Valley innovator a serial entrepreneur, CEO, and TV personality. Kevin has been featured by various periodicals and TV networks and has keynoted hundreds of events from Inc. 500 to TED to the U.S. Congress. He's been widely featured and recognized in periodicals, including Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year and CNBC Top Innovator of the Decade. While he has a technical background with 94 worldwide patents to his name, he's also known as a highly dynamic speaker. And that's one of the things that he does is he's a, a speaker uh, who is a true entertainer. He's funny. He excites people. He educates. He energizes audiences to action. Kevin has led pioneering work across numerous industries, including, including cellular data, smartphones, semiconductors, artificial intelligence, which we're going to dive into today, construction and building energy management system, including, I was very interested as I was doing the research, Kevin, your your work uh, on window and energy retrofits on the Empire State Building and the New York Stock Exchange, just to name a few. He's also an accomplished music director, as if he hadn't done enough, uh, conductor and Broadway and streaming producer and percussionist himself. Kevin lives part of the time in Sunnyvale. I think he's in upstate New York today as he chats with us. Kevin Sarace, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. My my goodness, I'm not sure I can live up to all of that. <laughs> I suspect you can, sir, because you have accomplished so much. So I think that you can. And so give us just briefly, you know, you started your career in technology and technology sales, if I got that right. In fact, we, we may have worked for competitor slash partner back that mm -hmm. back then in the 90s. Uh, this was after you graduated graduated from the Rochester Institute of Technology with an engineering degree. So the thing I always am curious about, if you can put yourself back then in that time frame, especially when you were in school, what did you want to do when you grew up? Yeah, ab absolutely. In fact, uh, I, I, I uh, always wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on stage and I mm. wanted um, uh, to be a drummer and I, I still play drums. Uh, but um, and, and so people said, well, why didn't you pursue that? Well, in some way I did pursue it. I pursued it as my second career. Uh, well, I had my first career, but my dad probably rightly so. And I fortunately listened to him. There was no choice at that time, <laughs> but, but he said, uh, oh, that's interesting. You can do acting. You can do your stage. You can do that on the side. 
but you're going to go get an engineering degree and um, because that will do you well. Now, I loved technology and I loved engineering. And I, I had a little radio repair business and TV repair business when I was a teenager because I could fix any kind of electronics and I would build things. And I really, really loved the electronic space. And, and interestingly enough, my my father um, worked for GE Audio Electronics at the time, hmm. which made radios. You know, it was a billion-dollar business at one time when GE was number one in radios and tape recorders and clock radios and things like that that we don't even care about anymore. But at that time, that was a very large business. And so, you know, he was really in the electronics business. He was in marketing and sales, but but um, I, I kind of grew up around electronics of the time of, of the day, uh, which at first had tubes and eventually had transistors, right? And eventually integrated circuits. And that was just a fascinating time and how fast things were changing. The LED came out and you could have digital clock radios now. And for most of your listeners, they, they may not remember that, but that, that was thrilling. We had digits instead of a circle, right? Um, so I was always interested in that, but I, I loved my music and I loved my theater work and uh um, my dad, you know, <laughs> said, you, you know, go, go for a real degree. So and not that, not that performing arts degrees aren't real degrees. I love no, performing I arts, but you know, it was like, you're, 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 you know, you'll be better set on your living. And he was right. I ended up going to Silicon Valley, uh, as you were, I think in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and, um, and, and building a career in technology. And, uh, that career has led me to, uh, all, all kinds of ups and downs as technology always does. Right. Yeah. Tremendous opportunities there. Why, uh, what drives you or what do you feed off of when you're on stage? You're doing it now, obviously, as a speaker and primarily, sure. but because I, I similarly, you know, when, when we were doing sales, you get to be on a stage of sorts, right? Small audience, but, but sell, you get to be on stage. What is it that appeals to you about it? Well, look, I, I like to say, um, I'm an edutainer, edutainer. So that's education and entertainment combined. Um, I uh, have had a lot of experiences. I've been working in and around applied AI. Now that I'll separate that from core AI, where you're developing new AI algorithms to using those algorithms to uh, build a product that does something unique for customers, right? For users. And so that's the applied side. And I've been focused on the applied AI side since the mid 90s developed um, what later became Siri, uh, later got licensed to become Siri. It was called, uh, it was a general magic. It was called Portico and My Talk and Magic Talk, eventually General Motors OnStar. We built that system for GM. Um, so this was fascinating work, of course. And, um, and, and so for me getting on a stage is to be able to share some of those experiences. And since I did not get to be on stage acting, singing and dancing, um, that's about as close as I can get right that and these wonderful podcasts and some TV work. Uh, but I, I really do love, love sharing those experiences and love sharing them in an entertaining way. Yeah. In a yeah, very you, entertaining way. You love communicating and doing so entertainingly so that it, so that people listen. Hey, we've all seen keynote speakers and I, and I do 40 or 50 keynotes a year. We uh, mostly for corporate events and we've all seen keynote speakers. They are a hundred times smarter than I am. I can guarantee it. You know, they've come from a university and they stand behind the podium with that piece of paper. Hi, I am. Oh, <laughs> let me look. John Smith. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, cancer detection from, you know, whatever. Very important topic. But, you know, half an hour in, everyone's on their phones or asleep, right? One or the other. And so I think when you have a large audience, it's different when you got 20 people. When you have a large audience, 
you have really got to project. You have really got to project excitement and you got to be funny and you, you know, you got to keep it flowing. Um, because I've spoken to audiences of over 5,000 people. I can tell you that I gotta, I've got to entertain and engage the person all the way in the back row, which might be row 50 or 80 or something like that, right? And I think just a lot of speakers don't think that way. They go, here's my material. I'm going to educate. You know, it's not a lecture. <laughs> Keynote speaking isn't a lecture. This is these are these are corporate people who've come to some event, right? Some conference. And, and you're standing in the way probably of either their breakfast, lunch, dinner or wine so <laughs> get off the stage right. you know, say what you're going to say get off uh, and and you know and and leave them with two or three nuggets right so at what point uh, or did you from early days uh aspire to or have the idea that you would be an entrepreneur well there's a great question um no i i, I didn't know that I would be. I started working in a large guy who started out with IBM for a while and national semiconductor and then a division of uh, Epson called Esmos, Seiko Epson that was all in semiconductors. And then, um, and then I went to a small company and I got a taste of what it was like to be in a company with, you know, 20 people mm -hmm. instead of 20,000 or a hundred thousand or 500,000. And that was really, really interesting. And then a friend of mine had um, an idea about um, starting a company where you would have a cellular phone and it would actually have a screen and send and receive data, <laughs> not just voice. Interesting concept. Yeah. And that, that was in uh, the mid nineties. So we're talking about way before there's an iPhone. And, um, and so we built a product called air communicator. We started a company, built a product, got it funded. And it turns out at that time, only the FBI uh, wanted to use things like that for a lot of very special reasons. And the other thing were these uh, what we call road warriors at the time. Road warriors mm -hmm. were heavy travelers that actually had a need to access their data in some way mm -hmm. or um, get their email or things like this, right? And in calendar and, and et cetera. So, so we developed all of that and we had the first product out doing that around, uh, you know, 93, 94. And so that was, so then that gave you a taste for an entrepreneurship and that put you down that path. Although you've done entrepreneurship, you've gone also in, I mean, I don't know your current uh, organization. Are you a founder or serving as CTO there? What, what is the situation yeah. now? Um, uh, at Vance, a founder, I was CEO for a long time. I hired a CEO. Um, for those who have not, you know, you, you talk to a lot of small businesses on this program and Anyone who has been a CEO, whether it's a tech business, whether it's a venture funded business, whether it's just small business, family business, whatever, you know, the CEO job is 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 the one everyone aspires to. And then when you get there, uh, you wake up every morning and go, how did I get this job? Right. And, and often what happens is an awful lot of your time is spent on people issues. A I lot see. of your time is uh, spent on uh, dealing with unhappy customers. And, you know, remember all the bad things end up on your desk because you're the one who has to solve them as the CEO, right? Yeah. So you really do less and less of the fun thing, whatever's fun for you, right. less and less of the fun things. Now there's a lot of cachet and well, I'm a CEO. I've been a CEO so many times, may I never beat you CEO again, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what happens is something happens at some company and people drag me in and say, well, we need you, you need to fix this. Can you be the CEO? And I'll be the CEO for a little while while I find a CEO. Um, because I, you know, at this point, I, I don't want to prove, I'm not going to prove that I'm the best CEO in the world and I'm not the best CEO in the world There are far better CEOs. 
But um, I really enjoy the technology and I really mm-hmm. dive into the technology or the problem. Sometimes it's not technology or the business problem or the channel problem or whatever it is. I want to go solve those. Right. And as CEO, you're just too busy yeah. with financial and people and problems. And, and so let the CEOs do that. that. All that. That's right. That's right. So it's not all it's cracked up to be, folks. That's what I would say. So a lot of a lot of advantage being in strategy, technology, uh, CTO, CIO, CSO, um, perhaps on the board. I'm on several boards. Um, but in the case of AppVance, I founded it. In the case of uh, Token, which is a cybersecurity company, Token Ring, um, I uh, uh, helped help to re- get it sort of relaunched in a new direction a couple of years back and um, in the cybersecurity ransomware direction. And that is just going to be gangbusters. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so there's a common theme, obviously, with technology. But as I was doing the research, and you've done so many things and been a part of so many different organizations, I was trying to identify another common theme. But it but it seems like you've taken an opportunistic approach to what do you do next. But my question is then, how do you decide what you do next? Well, here's the interesting thing, uh, at least for me, and I and I think for a lot of people, um, what drives me is I wake up one day and go, wow, there is a problem. There's a pain point, real pain point. And that pain point, I wonder if that could be solved. Let me think about that, right? And I may think on it for an hour or I may think on it for a year. But but when you find a real pain point, that's where there's real business. And I think that so many of our businesses, we come up with an idea that's looking for a home or a feature that's looking for a product or whatever, right? And so you do not want to be this technology that you develop is looking for the pain point to solve. It doesn't solve yeah. anything. And we see a lot of tech companies, a lot of funded companies like that. We see a lot of mom and pop companies. We see everything, right? And they're, they're looking for, you know, they've got a solution looking for a problem. Yeah, they've got to, you got to evangelize to try to find people who, or, or uncover a latent pain perhaps at best, yes? Right, at best. So if you find a pain, if you're out there and you see a real pain point and you see nobody's got a solution to it, then you say, well, okay, okay, do I need to break the law of physics to fix this problem? And if, if the answer is yes, then you shouldn't do it. But if you don't need to break the law of physics, then you should step back and say, okay, do I have the intellect or do I know people who have the intellect or can I, which is much of what I've done in my career, go read other patents in and around this space to learn how other people might have targeted it, even though they never solved the problem, right? See. So, so there's so much to learn. It used to be, if you needed to read a set of patents in a particular field and maybe apply them to a new field, you'd have to go to a patent library and God help you search that because it's all on paper. Well, of course, for the last decade or so or 15 years, we could just search online. We do a Google search, find every patent that has, you know, this kind of technology in it, find out how that was utilized maybe in other places to solve problems. And then you go, I've got a new application for this. Nobody's ever thought of. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can really, I don't want to be an expert in a field, but you can be a near expert. You may, in fact, be able to be an expert in the application of that technology to your field in a matter of weeks mm-hmm. with enough reading. Got it. Yeah. So and so. All right. So how do you determine, though, when it's time to move on to the next thing? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you, you know, usually they'll have to drag me kicking and screaming, I suppose. <laughs> um because usually I have a lot of things going in parallel. Right. Uh, uh, again, uh, you know, you sort of come up with something and but that's nascent and you're still working on something else. So so, you know, I tend to be uh, uh, sort of 
you know, working at a few companies at the same time, but, but um, some are in a very different stage. So it's an hour a week, you know, and others are like, they're 40 hours a week. Right. Okay. And so there's this, this, this sort of overlap. And then as one goes public or as one gets sold, or as you bring more people in and they don't need you as much, which is, you know, at token ring, uh, which is here in Rochester, New York, you know, we started when I restarted it um, and refunded it, we had uh, about 12 people and me and uh, and and over time, it didn't need me anymore. It needs me very little a few hours a week. And the reason is we brought in way smarter people than me in this particular field, in the cybersecurity field. And so there's still a lot I can add, but there is there's immense brain power at the company now. And so over time, over a couple of years, I kind of replaced myself, which was the what's was the idea. I'm I still see. on the board. I'm still chairman of the board. I'm still very active in the company, but I don't need to do certain things anymore. I can check in on it because there is a team that does it. And in fact, the best thing you can do is any level, CSO, CTO, CEO. Best thing you can do is replace yourself with people way smarter than you mm-hmm. and, and still have your percentage of the company, still maybe be on the board, still whatever. But absolutely, you, because otherwise you're going to just be doing that. You can't yeah. get out of it. And you want to love it, but there's a lot of other people. So you want to get so successful that the money's coming in, things are happening, and you replace yourself with people better than you. Yeah, that's when you become an entrepreneur. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez, briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. I'd like to, let's start diving a little bit more now into, I could ask you questions about that forever, but we'll, we'll focus now on AI. I'd love to get your definition, especially as we're talking about generative AI, or as you have called it, applied AI. I don't know if those are the same thing necessarily, but I'd love to get your explanation or definition at a high level from a business owner's perspective, if you will. Sure. What is Generative AI. Sure. Generative AI. Um, well, uh, generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence. We'll get right into this. That's based generally, but not always, but generally on a transformer model. And this model um, is a translational model, meaning that um, instead of training on words alone, it trained on phrases. And this came out of work at Google in 2017. And it came out of work at Google that said, when we translate English to French, we're doing it word by word. And mm. in France or in Spanish or some other language, it doesn't make any sense. Right. 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 I mean, they when you understand do what it. we call literal translation often comes out completely wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. But you know what they were saying? Sure. But you get but, it. But but it's like you're not speaking my language. You're speaking junk. <clears throat> so they had an idea that said, well, it will be hard. But if we trained a model on phrases and got lots of them, then we would wait and hear a phrase and we would convert the phrase to French or Spanish or whatever it is. And it turns out that was a really good idea. It works. And all modern translators today 
most modern translators are based on that method. You type a whole phrase or you speak a phrase and it will translate the phrase rather than word by word by word. Okay, great. Once you could learn phrases, well, then if you learned billions or maybe trillions of those phrases and stayed in the same language, you could start to put together logical words that form reasonable phrases that answer the question. So if I, if I asked a uh, large language model, of which there's many, but most people know about ChatGPT, but there right. are a hundred others, right? right? Many, many others, <clears throat> including one released today um, uh, in open source, uh, a, a larger uh, Lambda model uh, from, uh, from Facebook. So uh, what's interesting here is that if you stay in the same language, I can start to ask it questions like, um, you know, who was the first president of the United States or whatever. And it will automatically through its deep learning network. And we could talk about how neural nets work in a second. Um, it will start to find things that match essentially the answer to that question. Right now, that's incredible because instead of using a rules-based system like I had to do when we built Portico, and Portico was a uh, virtual assistant, an AI mm -hmm. assistant, and she would talk to you, Mary would talk to you like, like we're talking, except she had a rules engine and only a rules engine. And right. so uh, uh, if you said, Mary, I uh, please give me my email or read my email, she'd go, okay, I've got your email, let's go. And you'd say, Mary, I'm really in love with you. Oh, I, you know, I'm taken, you know, whatever. <laughs> she had all all kinds of responses but in the end if you if you tested that many many times you'd run out of rules and run it would out start of rules itself yeah <clears throat> so so that was a rules engine we used those and they were to some extent artificially intelligent it was it, it did use machine learning but only on the speech recognition uh part called a hidden markov model but here's the interesting thing i want everyone to take away with generative ai people it's just math it's literally math hmm. in fact if you were taking courses at any university today in any kind of AI, including generative AI, it's probably in the math department. Why? It's math. It's not science. It's not physics. It's not taking over the world. It's math. And it's just a probability on one word coming after another to form a final phrase that makes sense in the English language in this case, right? So, uh, And then over I, time, that model is learning, quote unquote, um, and 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 having its probability be more accurate as well, a result it, of that. It 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 could um and it can. It is not all of them do that because mm -hmm. many of them already learned from almost you know a trillion tokens, right. a trillion right. phrases. And in a trillion phrases, me adding yours to that may or may not help. Got it. But but if there's supervised learning where I can go back and tell it that was a good answer or a bad answer and most of these will do that. It will take that and say, I can learn from that. I okay, see. they told me this was a good answer or it was a bad answer, but I need that supervision yeah. to tell me. This. Otherwise, I don't know, because I gave you something you didn't tell me if it was good or bad. I have no way of knowing, right? Right. Now, this is, this is absolutely fascinating, and it's blowing people's minds. But those of us who have been in and around the space now for 70-plus years that AI has been being developed, <laughs> we could see it coming. Like, this isn't a... You know, this isn't a shock. And there was a GPT-1 and there were large language models before that. And so for the last many years, people have been toying and it's been getting better and better. And it's um, so it's not some shock, but it is a shock to most. It is. Humans. And I have a question for you there from a, you know, from a business marketing perspective. What do you think became the tipping point? Why, why did ChatGPT all of a sudden catch fire? Sure, because they released a public version in ChatGPT 3 and then 3.5 and then 4. 
And uh, before that, it was only involved like I was on one and two, but it was for researchers and it was for, you know, understanding what these language models yeah. could do. Or, or it was and, being, so of course, was embedded it. into other tools that we use, the other it software was. solutions that we use. Is, it, it was being embedded there. It's just, we, for, you know, for two years into Copilot um, mm-hmm. uh, with Microsoft and GitHub. Um, so so coders for two years have been getting suggested code. And that was based originally on GPT-3 and then 3.5 and now 4. Uh, for you know, for the same reason, so people have been using it in certain ways, but but most of the public didn't. Then the public got access to it at some level, and something like sixteen percent of the public has tried it. It's not a large percentage, but people have tried it, and um, and they love it. Now they don't know what to do with it after playing with exactly. it. Exactly, the usage has gone down, right? But. Right. And that's and so that's where I want to get some of some of your thoughts and from a small business perspective. I'm using it almost daily, um, by the way, to generate content primarily. Yes, of course. Of different types, whether it's marketing content or internal content or training content or whatever. Um, but I think that what's happening here, and this is why I'm starting to address this on my show, this is actually the first time I've done any kind of a deep dive on it, Kevin, is it's I I I I compare it for small business owners. Similar to websites, although it's improved, not long ago, only about 50% of of small businesses had a website. And why is because they were paralyzed by not knowing how to do it or what to do it, or they got their money taken, you know, so they they were paralyzed by the technology. Is, Is that part of what you're seeing here is that they don't know how to use it? That's right. You know, small business, and by the way, when we talk about use it, you actually have to go to build something on top of it, right? Uh, for the most part, yes, you can go and type something and it'll give you an answer and that's cute. And then you go back to your business. But let me give you some ways that I think small businesses can and are using this, right? One is customer support. If you integrate GPT or any large language model in your customer support system to handle basic customer inquiries, uh, provide automated uh, responses, assist with uh, frequently asked questions, things like that, you now have a customer support person that you don't have to pay or you're paying, you know, a penny a, a response. That's amazing. Now, that's amazing. Why is it amazing, by the way, is we can't hire enough people. And we, that's not going to change. I hope everyone listening to this hears those words, right? The the birth rate in the United States has gone down for 30 years. <clears throat> the number of graduates coming out of high schools is going down. And the number of people retiring is you know starting to skyrocket as baby boomers get to that age and going through that age now. So now you have a real problem. Because every small business I talk to says, oh, hiring is my number one problem, but I have a secret weapon. I'm advertising here. I'm doing. I said, yeah, you and everybody else, you're all using the same thing. But in the end, the pool is getting smaller. Right. So if you want to double your business, even in the next 10 years, the old way to do it was we just double the number of employees. I used to have 30 employees. I guess I'll have 60. Well, maybe, but no, you're not going to find another 30. It's going to be extraordinarily expensive. So you need to amplify the employees you have. And the way you amplify them is leveraging AI. Customer support, content generation, you're generating content, I'm generating content. Anyone who is smart is amplifying them their own brain by 10 or 100x by what? By generating content. Not that I couldn't write it, except... What I find is it gives me so many good ideas. Absolutely. I still edit it and clean it and this and that. But instead of, instead of spending maybe three hours, I spend like 10 minutes. The, the, the time that I would have taken, I just did something the other day that would have taken me for particular the outline and kind of the ideas, the framework of it. Then moments I have it and now I'll take it and massage it and make it mine. But, but the time that that has saved me 
is, is That's brilliant. Right. Yeah. Well, look, look, look at artwork for PowerPoints, right? Or artwork for websites or whatever. Um, it's not that we didn't, it's not that they don't want to go to artists who will draw this stuff and create these things. But for me to go outside and go to someone, and it's not even the money, it might be $150 or $200 to get someone to draw up some, some, some comps for me and we'll take a look. But the cycle of that is days or weeks. Can I get on the calendar? Can I explain what I want? Can they draw five, you know, ideas, then come back, give me the outline. Then I go, finally, you know, at the end of all that, maybe I have the perfect drawing for that slide or for that advertisement or whatever. Okay. If I use one of the image generators that are out there now, uh, mid journey or others, I, I, or Dolly, I can have, you know, five drawings in front of me just from a description. I want, I need a drawing of a cat on Mars, uh, eating uh, a mouse okay. boom there's a cat on mars eating a mouse in a you know dressed like an astronaut etc now i can't draw that so right. what this has done is it's democratized drawing it's democratized actually even photographs i can i can now take some photos of a person like a, 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 a female model that uh that says hey i need new model photographs I can put that into a particular engine and within a few minutes, I've got photorealistic versions of her in totally different places that she never went to that democratized photography because no photos were taken. I just took whatever photos I had of her face. Right. So all of these are interesting for small business generating ads, generating content, generating content for the web market research, personalized recommendations for your customers. That's fascinating because that's hard to do. Language translation, content editing, and proofreading. So you can actually go back and say, please proofread this and make it better. So I could take something from a GPT model or a large language model, fix it, edit it, da, 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 put it back in, literally yeah. copy and paste. Yeah. Here's another one. Customer writes to you screaming. This happens at every small business. They've sent you a terrible text, a terrible email. Copy and paste that into a large language model and say, look, I need a reasonable, thoughtful, caring response that hopefully will drive the customer to actually buy more from me rather than write bad things online about me. Okay. Frankly, a large language model is way better at that than we are in the moment because in the moment we're angry and we are going to want to use our emotions in a way that are not going to bring the customer closer to us. It's going to get the customer to give us a bad Yelp review, right? So we want to change that. Well, let this assistant, right? This additive thing, this thing that multiplies our intelligence, let it do it for us. So um, in workflow automation, things like that. So if you look at those eight or 10 things that I listed, it's as if I hired 10 different people with 10 different skills and I amplified my intelligence because there's still only one of me. I am still the robot overlord, except I have 10 other people working for me that didn't work for me a day ago. Yeah, well, well said. Thank you for sharing all those experiences. It's funny or ironic that you shared that last one because I have a client, a coaching client who did just that. They had a, a customer service issue, had chat GPT uh, uh, create a response. And both he and the other, he asked his other service person, what do you think about this? And they both agreed it was better than what we would have come up with, right? I had a um, a, uh, um, a friend of ours text us. She came out and visited and stayed with us for a week and then went back. And she's, uh, uh, you know, very senior C-level exec, right? <clears throat> she wrote the most beautiful text to me, uh, to me and my wife, but thanking us, right? The most beautiful text. And 
the prose was so stunningly gorgeous. Just it's like she must have thought about it for a week. You know what I mean? Just every word and the placement. And it was just gorgeous. And so I took that, put it in chat GPT in this case and said, what's the best way I can respond to this? Ah, based and on this. Yeah. And the response was in this. And I said, respond to this in the same prose. Right. Right. Same, right. And and ChatGPT gave me a response that was stunningly gorgeous. And so I pasted it and I and, and at the bottom, I said, written with help from ChatGPT and sent it, which made her even more joyful. Uh, so the response was gorgeous. It there were words that I could not have formulated. And um, and 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 when I read it, I said, this is from my heart. I wish I could have put those words in exactly that way, but I'm going to take it. And uh, but I was honest. I said, hey, look, you know, this mm -hmm. was done with help from chat GPT. I think I changed three or four words. That was it. Um, so, you know, interesting. Great. Not always good in school because everybody's using this in college, even in high school, <laughs> scares the teachers. But, but 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 let me say something about that. Not, it's not going to be asked, but it's interesting because. What that does is all of the instructors, all the professors said all the kids are cheating. They're just using chat GPT. Okay, so then some of the instructors have said you can't use it and it's barred and this and that. Look, the truth is you're now in a world that has uh, language models the way we've had math models, the way we've had math automation. So we've had math automation since the 70s. We had calculators mm -hmm. and then we had Excel. So we've had math solved for us for decades. That's and right. we don't think anything of going to that tool, do we? Yeah, oh, I mean, now, calculators now. now are allowed in testing environments, right? Well, so, of course. so that's okay. Yep. So, so that's what I'm recommending. I'm on the board of RIT uh, uh, as well, and 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 we talked about this in the board meeting. And certainly, my strong recommendation is embrace it. It's going to look. Kids are going to use it anyway, right. and worse yet, well, better yet, whatever. When they get out of school, they're going to be expected to know how to use it. That's so. Right. You want to now embrace it in every class. And yes, there's a time when all computers are off and people may have to write out a few sentences, just like you'd say uh, in, in math, I need you to do some long division in fifth grade. After that, you'll never do it again, but just do it once, right? So you might make them do some things once or twice. Sure. But then after that, I want you to understand prompt engineering on these models, yeah. right? I want you to understand um, reinforcement learning on the models. I want you to understand how you get the best answers and the best results, and how you edit that, how you, how you use your editing and proofreading skills. All of those things uh, are things we've got to be teaching these students. And, um, you know, but right in the style of Shakespeare, sorry, that one's solved. That's like <laughs> multiply, you know, three by 5,278. You know, that's solved. It's a button. It's just a button. So we now have language automation the way we have had math automation for decades. Agreed, agreed. You, you made a statement in one of your speeches that was recorded related to this that I want to read here. You said, quote, your job will not be replaced by AI, but you could be replaced by other leaders that leverage AI to do their job. That, that is quote. exactly right. That is exactly right. It's it, at this point, either including in every small business, either you are embracing these new tools, which consider them a calculator for language. Okay. Either you're embracing them or you're dead. Or your competition is, and they're going to kill you with it. That's right. Or your competition is. So you're either embracing this or you're gone. And, and it's now, a democratization of this tool now that's yes. accessible to me. Yes. Yes. It's And that tool democratizes all of these things you used to have professionals for. I need a content writer. Well, no, you don't. 
I need, by the way, you couldn't afford one. You didn't have one, right? Because if you have a content writer, you're going to empower them. And now they're 10x the content writer they used to be, Mm -hmm. right? So, So everyone asks, is this going to eliminate jobs? What I always say in my talks, and I've said for whatever, a decade, this is going to eliminate tasks because some tasks you no longer need to do. But if you're an expert in that particular field, you're going to use your expertise to control the machine, right? So if you are an expert in images and the way they look, yes, you used to take those through a camera and you may still take some with a camera. Camera's not over. But for some cases, you're going to take some other things that you've got, you're going to upload them and you're going to say, place that person uh, at Niagara Falls. And, and make them look at this angle and do this and do that. And it's going to give you 20 of those back as if you flew with the person to Niagara Falls and took that picture. But you no longer have to. Now, you could have always done some level of that in Photoshop. You could have even changed the clothing and the look. And, you know, but, it, it, but, but that took real expertise, a lot of expertise, sometimes right. days and days of work. Now we've democratized that. Give me another one. I uh, generated... Um, and there's some others who generated film level content. It's not quite at the level of Hollywood, but generated film like content uh, just from text. You know, I want this to happen and I want this to happen. And I want them to be scared of this. And I want, mm. you know, generate a one minute film. Okay. Frame by frame. And it generates, it generates the video, generates the audio, generates the speaking, everything's generated. Now people go, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. Well, hang on. Hollywood's been doing that for 25 years. You ever heard of Pixar, right? This is this is not new, right? They've been able to do this for a very long time, right? For a hundred million dollars, and then for ten million dollars, but not for ten cents. So this is democratizing the kinds of tools that Hollywood has had to use for decades, democratizing it so we can use it. Yeah, yeah. Another area I, I always think of, Kevin, is you know what we used to call big data, and it seemed like only large corporations were able to analyze big data because they had the computing power and the analysts and the people. Well, now as a small business owner, I can apply AI also to help me interpret that data, can't I? Literally, you can take an Excel spreadsheet, upload it, and say, you know, uh, what's the best interpretation of this, or which based on this data, which customer should I go after? Whatever it will analyze it for you and give you an answer. It's fascinating, right? It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So you're democratizing that kind of thing for small businesses and doing that kind of analysis where, again, what have you done? You said you might have been able to do that with um, with formulas in Excel or right. Visual Basic in Excel, but you probably don't know that. You're running a business. You don't have time for that, but just upload the stuff. Let the, let, let the machine come back with some recommendations. Yeah. I just want to touch briefly, come back into to your one of your current ventures, uh, Advanced.ai. Uh, having been a developer, I started as a COBOL programmer back in the oh, 80s. Yeah. And then, you know, we were in the software industry. And now that I look at it, it's like, God, what a, what a wonderful place to apply AI, this this right. area of, of application testing. Yeah, a- absolutely. So all applications, all programs have bugs. We know that everything we use online has bugs. We find them, we see them. Well, these applications are getting more and more complicated. And when we started this company, the the thinking was, that, and that's about a decade ago, is that we had to get to a point where the machine will find the bugs for you. The machine will find the bugs for you. And we've been using a type of generative AI since 2017, mm-hmm. not using a transformer, um, but a very different model that would generate test scripts and, mm-hmm. and go through the application to find the bugs for you after some training. 
So you might train it for a day, and after that, it goes and does its thing, and it learns at each new build. That is miraculous. And mm -hmm. every one of those customers, you know, millions and millions of tests, sometimes that AI comes back and says, warning, I found this. And they go, we would have, I 100% customers, while we would have never found that. Yeah. We would have never found that. We wouldn't have written a test script to go find that. Our customers would have found it. It would have been, we would have had to revert. It would have been bad. So leveraging AI in that way to go find software bugs is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It is not marketing wise, but technically true, about 100,000 times faster than humans writing test scripts to find their bugs. <laughs> But it's a machine. Of course it is, right? I mean, it, it's not, it shouldn't surprise anyone. Yet, the, you know, 99.999% of, you know, companies out there are still writing scripts or manually testing their software. And, and mostly because they didn't trust the AI. I had more customers come to us. We give them a demo and they go, well, I just watched it generate 5,000 scripts in a few minutes. How, how can that be? I, you, you need to tell me what each of them does. So, well, they're in a folder. You can look at that. Well, well, how am I going to see 5,000 scripts? I don't know how I can, you know, I got everybody calm down. It's AI. It's going to go find your bugs for you. I don't believe it. Okay, well, let's run it. And, of course, it finds all these bugs. And it goes, well, they're not all real. No, 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 they're real. It's a machine. <laughs> it doesn't lie. I mean, literally, Henry, it can't lie. It just says, right. this is what I found. It might be intermittent, but I found it. So um, the hard part up until I think a year ago was getting people to say, I can deploy AI in this way, mm -hmm. e even though we have a system that does it. And now with ChatGPT, it opened people's eyes to the application of AI within their businesses. And now we're seeing really hordes of companies showing up and saying, actually, we want to apply AI. You guys have all the patents in this field. You've been doing it the longest. Uh, what can you do for me, right? So mm -hmm. sometimes the market has to catch up right. to the vision and the vision was right back in 2012. It just took a long time for people to believe that a machine can do this kind of work. Understood. Um, let me ask you this, Kevin. If I'm a small business owner, and obviously this is all new to me, where do you recommend people start with their learning about AI and how to apply it to their small business? Yeah, so so I think a, a good place, and I'm I'm you know just started reading it, but uh, Reed Hoffman's a friend, and 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 Reed just wrote. I'm going to look at this. It's called Impromptu Amplifying Your Humanity Through AI, and basically it's a book that is half written by AI, mostly because hmm. there is uh, uh, um, example after example after example of hey, I'm just going to ask it this, I'm going to ask it this, and so I think when you give people 300 pages of examples, they will walk away with. Hey, I've got some ideas how this yeah. might apply. One, one or two of those business. is going to resonate right away and say, oh, right. let me run with that. Right. And, and you can learn how to do it. And you learn how to log in and all these things. Right. And so, again, amplifying your intelligence is what this is about. I want to take I want to take Henry and make 100 Henrys because 100 Henrys is at least 100 times more productive than one Henry. Same with Kevin. Same with Jim. Same with Sue. Everybody. Right. Understood. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, obviously, as we mentioned, speaking engagements is one of the big things that you do to, to share and to communicate. And so if somebody's interested in that, just about any of the speaking agencies they can go to and find you there. Yes. All of them. You say, type Kevin, you know, Google Kevin Serace and speaking. I, I don't know. It'll be page after page after, uh, you know, of, of speaker agencies. And uh, 
And I'm booked all the time. I love entertaining audiences. I, you know, I'm again trying to bring AI down to a level that people go, oh, I can put this to work as I leave here, right? As I'm leaving this conference, I've got some ideas. I've got some places to go. I've got some links, et cetera. So that's what we want to do is make everyone more productive because more productive means you're going to have more top line and more bottom line and you're going to be happier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, obviously, we talked about impromptu. I think there was another book that you might recommend for us. For 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 I think for startups, and it doesn't always have to be a tech startup, but I like also Reed Hoffman's Blitz Scaling that was written with uh, with my friend Chris Yeh, who's fantastic. And that's just taking when when we've looked at some startups that went from you know zero to a hundred million in two years, whatever, and you, and you start to model what it is that they did correctly. How did they advertise? How did they how did they garner the social media attention, et cetera? There's a lot to learn in there about growing a business. Even if you don't want to grow from zero to 100 million, maybe you want to grow from zero to 1 million, you go, what can I take from this book? There's 100 ideas and maybe two of them are useful to you, but but it's it's just worth learning. What did these companies do to go zero to 100? Some of them went zero to a billion in a few years. You go, wow, how do you go from zero to a billion? It's very fascinating. And that's by Hoffman is one of the authors. His podcast, I, I think he's still doing episodes, but brilliant podcast as well. Yes, uh, it is. I've listened to it. Excellent. Not as good as yours, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've been on here, of course. Yeah, there you go. Appreciate there you go. it. All right, let's wrap it up, Kevin. What, what's what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about as a small business owner beginning to apply AI in my business? Well, look, AI is not going to kill you. I would, I would, none of this AI is going to kill anyone, right? Now, look, don't hook the darn thing up to our nuclear stockpile. Okay, let's be clear. Don't, don't do stupid things. But all it does is spit out text or images. Okay, so everybody get a hold of themselves because everyone's reading all these headlines. You know, Elon Musk says AI is going to take over the world. It's over. It's okay. It's not going to do that. The second thing is, is if we all want to grow the way we want to grow, we need twice as many workers as we have now. And the worker pool is getting smaller, not larger. So we had better amplify our intelligence. And uh, number three, and probably number one, your competition right down the street is already doing this. They're leveraging it in some way. So Jimmy's sitting at the front desk. Now there's two Jimmy's there, you know, um, uh, Sue, Erica, you know, writing, writing content. Well, now Erica's times five and they didn't have to hire those people. They're paying almost nothing for it. So if you don't do it, they're going to have better content, better advertising, better uh, 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 responses to their customers, uh, you know, better social media ads. How are you going to beat that? So yep. you got to get AI working for you. And it's a great time. It's the best time to be alive when you think of it. We've yeah. never had access to this kind of technology. So many accessible technologies and uh, things that we can apply in our in our business that are they're affordable to us. Yes. Yes. Literally dollars a week. Excellent. Fantastic stuff, Kevin. Uh, again, if we want to find out more about you, we can search your name, which is Kevin Sarace, S-U-R-A-C-E. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm assuming as well, we can find you there. LinkedIn, absolutely. Yeah, excellent. All right. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time for sharing all this knowledge. Inspirational, of course, and uh, so educational for us as small business owners. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Henry. Really enjoyed it. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Kevin Serace. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including on my website, thehowofbusiness.com. 
Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.